0: first time in my life that I've preached at the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church. So I am super happy to be with you. Um, It's been one of my, um, how do you call it, those things you want to check off before you die? Bucket list, bucket list, bucket list to be here with you and share uh, in this wonderful town that is beautiful and it truly is beautiful. So I thank Pastor Art for inviting me and being here with you. Um, I currently serve, my name is Juan Rodriguez, I currently serve as the Florida Conference Youth and Young Adult Director, and so I have the privilege to uh, be able to go around conferences and help churches uh, to be able to grow young. And so I'm glad to be here, and hopefully uh, what I have to share, uh, you as a church family will embrace and allow to uh, maybe do some serious deep thinking about how God wants to lead you and lead this church going into the future, and so today, Pastor Art um, asked me to just to share and also maybe to give a little spoiler alert for the great reveal. You're having a business meeting, uh, and you guys had a survey uh, he told me about to be able to see what your church is doing and what how it's working and, and how it wants to move forward, and a little spoiler alert uh, part of his desire is to be able to start uh, focusing on young families and, and young people and, and make them more of a priority. and And it sounds like through the history of this church that some of you have already done some of that. And so he maybe just wants to increase the awareness. Uh, And so today's message then is, is entitled, What is Your Legacy? Let's pray. Holy and great God, Lord, right now, I just invite you to come even closer to us. We praise you, Lord, for already being here, Lord. I praise you, Lord, for how your, uh, your love is radiating in the lives of some of these people that I see their faces and they're smiling because you are here and you are with them, Father. And so, Lord, we invite you to just come closer, open our hearts and our minds to you. I pray that you hide me behind the cross, Lord, and that I might say the words that you want me to say, Father, but despite of what I say, I pray that everyone here might be able to hear something that you want to tell them. And I thank you for this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe some of us have been thinking, I don't know, of our legacy more than usual during this time of the coronavirus pandemic. After all, if nothing else, this virus shows us how fragile our lives can be. And if that's the case, what do you want the next generation to remember about you? What do you want the next generation to embrace about your church? Specifically, how does the Naples Seventh-day Adventist church want their young people to lead their church until Jesus returns? If you don't wrestle with those questions, then what happens is that your church will follow the example of many Christian and Seventh-day Adventist churches all over America and Europe that are closing their doors because the next generation will simply walk away. They don't argue. Let's make a change. They don't want to be necessarily revolutionaries to do something, you know, some of them want to make a change, but they're like, ah, oh, it's not worth the struggle. And so what's happened is that they're simply walking away. And so I want you to wrestle with this. And if, if you were here, in fact, if you were in Fort Myers four years ago, we had a Legacy of Hope convention there, and we brought the churches from this part of Florida together together and I was there sharing some of the same things that I'll be sharing with you today. So if you uh, remember sermons from four years ago, this will be a repetition for you, but I can't really think of any, including myself, that remembers sermons from four years ago. And this is the problem. Actually, it's been a problem for a long time of young people walking away from church. It's not a new thing. The youth for many years have left the church. The only difference is that they usually came back maybe when they settled down, maybe when they had their kids, and maybe that's some of your journey here in your life as well. Uh, But the difference is that this generation, this next generation, is not following that same pattern. In fact, we have a statistic before COVID uh, that 65% were leaving the church and didn't come back. So how can we help them become an important part of our movement? Well, I think it goes back to a story that happened back in, I would say, it was the 1960s. My dad was a teenager. He was excited about his Seventh-day Adventist church. He he wanted to do some things in the community, so he gathered up his friends, teenage friends, and they went around just simply handing out magazines, Adventist magazines, revolutionary of the 1960s. And he went out there passing them out, and then they started sharing with Jesus and praying with people. But his church got a little bit scared because they were going out into the community and meeting strangers. And they weren't sure what kind of example these bunch of teenagers were giving to their community. So they they told my dad and his friends, you have to stop doing this. My dad said, I'm sharing signs of the times. (laughs) You know, our good old Adventist magazine from back in the day. It was in Spanish. It was uh, entitled differently in Spanish. He was in Puerto Rico, but they still stopped him. And you would think, oh, but that's the mentality of back then. We don't have that kind of problem now. Let's fast forward 60 years. I'm calling a youth leader from a church in central Florida because she is outraged that the leaders in her church are telling their youth and young adults that they can't lead in their church. And that blows my mind because some of these people are actual leaders in their own workplaces, mid-20-year-olds. But the church is not trusting them in their place of worship. And that's 60 years after my dad's experience. Well, needless to say, my dad left the church and was not interested in ever going back. And, and it's weird because my dad is a third-generation Seventh-day Adventist. His, his grandfather... His grandfather was the first Puerto Rican-born Seventh-day Adventist pastor in the island. Missionaries came to the island. They shared the good news with him. He, he became converted. He became the first Puerto Rican Adventist pastor of that island. His mother was a missionary. And now him, third generation, wanting to spread God's word, shut out. And he left the church. Even though he had that background, that incredible heritage in his life, he walked out. There was a disconnection between the leaders of his church and the young generation of that time. Something negative happens when the church doesn't share with one another and make it a habit, a priority to learn from one another, especially to learn from one another intergenerationally. So when I talk about focusing on the next generation, I don't say forget about the seniors in your church. Forget about the the older people in your church. I mean, come on, how can you say that in a community where the average age is 66? All right, you know what I'm saying? We need one another though, because we need the experience of the seniors and we need that experience to be passed on to the next generation. And guess what I found out? I found out that young people actually want to learn from you. Isn't that weird? When I was a young person, I could care less what seniors had to say, but this is a different generation, a new generation, and the studies show that they are interested. Because unfortunately, they're going to YouTube to learn and they're very educated, they they know so many things that I didn't know when I was young but they don't have the wisdom to navigate their knowledge. And so we need the wisdom that come through your experience. So we're talking about learning from one another intergenerationally. We see this dilemma played out in the Bible as well. It's amazing. This dilemma was all the way back in the book of Judges. If you have your Bibles or your phones, check out Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 6 to start out. Judges 2, verse 6. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went to his inheritance to possess the land. So this is where we are in history. They've conquered most of what they needed to conquer for that time, and he told them, go and, and, and be blessed in your lands. Joshua was still leading out the people of Israel. Then we go to verse 7 of the same chapter, Judges 2, verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in team up in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. That passage messes me, messes with my brain. It it torments me because I'm thinking to myself, how in the world can this next generation arise and not know the work which he had done for Israel? What happened in the process between Joshua, the next generation, and then the next generation? Uh, the, what happened with this sharing with the next generation what God has done? What happened with mentoring the next generation? This was the result, though, verses 11 and 12. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them, and, they, and thus they provoked the Lord to anger. Many times we blame, I'm sorry, not we, let's rewind. Many times we look at this story and blame this, these Israelites for serving other gods. But there was a disconnection between the generations. So we can't simply blame the younger generation. We have to sometimes point the fingers at ourselves. for not mentoring the way that God wants us to mentor. And so this was the result, worshiping other gods. And the result was even deeper in Bible history. I want to go through some history here real quick. Let's fast forward from Joshua's era to the time of Nehemiah. So you can see how much fast forwarding we're doing we are going fast forward beyond the kings, David, all the kings, bam, 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 bam. The destruction of Jerusalem has taken place. And now they are being called back to go back. Like the Persian king has said, oh, you can go back and try to rebuild Jerusalem now. All right? So this is a lot of years that have passed by. Now they're going back to rebuild this city that they were destroyed and taken away from. And as they're there, we find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah. I'll read from Nehemiah chapter 8, but before I do, in this time period, Ezra reads from a portion in the Bible. And the people, when they hear his reading, realize how they have turned away from God and how they stopped an important celebration of remembrance. That celebration was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And what they did was they would live in tents for a while, some kind of makeshift place outside of their home so they can remember how they were in the wilderness and they can remember the great deliverance from Egypt. So that's why he celebrated this. Let's remember the great, the great redemption from Egypt, the great redeeming God that took us from slavery into freedom, and let's live in tents for a little while so we can remember and have this feast of tabernacles. And we look up now what happens in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the squares of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity, this is the captivity that are coming back now to Jerusalem, made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, and there was great rejoicing. Are you telling me since the time that I just read from Judges all the way past all the kings to this time, they had not celebrated this wonderful feast of redemption? That's what can happen when people don't share with the next generation the great redemption that they have received, the great redemption that God has brought them through. And I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. I have to think also to my own kids right now. Do I share with them the great story of what Christ has done in my life that you share with those around you The same thing, especially the next generation, where apparently they hadn't done this. And they hadn't celebrated this Feast of Tabernacles since Joshua. Hundreds of years later. We could go deeper into the story. But the point I want you to grasp is that the failure of the elders, parents, and leaders that came after Joshua to mentor, disciple, and truly love the next generation well, created a cycle of forsaking the Lord. I'm going to repeat that because I want that to go deep into your brains and in your heart. Until the general, I'm sorry, I lost my place in my notes. (laughs) The failure of the elders, parents, and leaders that came after Joshua to mentor, disciple, and truly love the next generation Well, created a cycle of forsaking the Lord. And here's another quote. That's not a quote. That's what I'm sharing. But here's a quote from a book called Patriarchs and Prophets. It says this, Until the generation that had received instruction from Joshua became extinct, idolatry made little headway. But the parents have prepared the way for the apostasy of their children. Take that into account. And I don't still take into account the parents the actual, that gave birth to the kids, but the parents of the whole nation of Israel that could have mentored their generation. But the same thing happens today. The failure of parents, church leaders, or even church communities to love well, mentor, and disciple the next generation leads to a cycle of forsaking church and many times forsaking God's greatest plan for their life going back to my dad's story fortunately had a miraculous encounter up in the mountains of Puerto Rico where an angel showed up and that miraculous encounter led him and my mom to seek the Lord and eventually they did get rebaptized and when they did get rebaptized my mom was pregnant with me and so now me being a fourth generation believer of this community my parents took it upon themselves to make sure that I didn't become a statistic. They didn't want me to repeat their experience of leaving church. So they did three things that has led me to where I am today, and in case you're wondering where I am today, I don't know if you can tell, but I praise God and I'm in a place that I love Jesus Christ supremely. He is my best friend and Lord, and my greatest desire is to live in the center of his will. So they did three things that helped me in the process of being completely sold out to Christ. They instilled within me a great love and respect for the Bible as the voice of God. In other words, the Bible was not just a book of great history. The Bible was not just a story of God's redemption for the world. The Bible was not just something that was a good thing to read and had good laws to obey. The Bible was actually the voice of God. So every time that I opened the Bible, it was, it was as if God was speaking to me. They, they put that within my heart. They helped me understand that it's true. They also instilled within me a huge importance in prayer as a means to communicate with God. Not just telling him what I want, but talking to him as if I would talk to a friend. My question to you again today is this What is your legacy? And third, and the one that connects with this message is that they placed me in an environment that had men and women that helped me understand God's love for me and embraced grace and encouraged me to be a leader in their churches. They, they asked me to preach in, in different parts of their, of their church when I was a young person. I'm talking about Sabbath school teachers, youth leaders, pathfinder leaders, youth pastors, elders and mentors that would surround me loved me, shared Christ with me, and became intentional with me to become a leader. I was blessed to be a part of a church family that was like that for my journey. I was asked to preach and give Bible studies since I was a teenager. And in my 20s, I was actually an elder of another church. And so in my life, I've been blessed to be a part of a church family like that, a, a family that spoke into my heart as a young person that valued me, that prioritized my journey with Jesus and allowed me to lead at a young age. Why am I sharing this with you? Because I think it's important that we begin to think that way for all the churches in the Florida Conference, including this church. Now that I'm about to turn 50, I know, I don't look it. You can say it. Now that I'm about to turn 50, I have an urgency to help churches understand the importance of discipling the next generation, of prioritizing young people and young families in all that they do. What kind of legacy does the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church want to provide for the next generation? And how can we start connecting intentionally intergenerationally? In a study done by the Fuller Youth Institute, they discovered that there were six essentials that is helping churches all over our country to grow young. In the North American division, we are seeing churches that have embraced these six essentials to reach the next generation through a movement called Growing Young Adventists. Those six qualities of a church that is reaching the next generation are fueling a warm community. And I'm not going to get into in depth with all of this. In fact, I've given your pastor books on this that he's going to share with his leaders and hopefully share with the rest of the church members who are interested in getting those books. And when he runs out, let me know. I got more. So just let me know if you want a book. In fact, let me know if you want a book today. I'll, I'll, I'll get it to you somehow. Those six, those six things are fueling a warm community. And you might be doing some of this stuff already. The cool thing is that when we, when we talk to churches and, and meet with their leadership team and meet with their church family, we discover that some churches are already doing some of this. We just got to up our game in different areas. So those six things are fueling a warm community. In other words, together, you're, you're, you're learning to love intentionally with one another. Empathizing is with young people, which means you want to learn about them. You want to listen them. Sometimes we want to tell young people what to do, but we don't take the time to listen to them, to see where they're at and their journey and and, and just just be there for them. Prioritizing young people and families everywhere is the third one. Taking the message of Jesus seriously, which a lot of Adventist churches do well, the ones who take the survey in the Florida Conference. They take the message of Jesus seriously, and then being a good neighbor to their communities. Those six things, those six essentials can be found in a book entitled Growing Young. And when they're taken seriously, it can be life-changing for your church. Here's an example. I got a call one time from Bob from the Homosassa Springs Church. You guys, you guys know where Homosassa Springs is? Yeah? Some of you have been there before? Yeah? Some? Okay, cool. So Homosassa Springs has a small church, and Bob from there calls me up one time. And <laughs> this is the way he sounds. Ex-military. Why? Yes, sir. I need your help. Okay, how can I help you, sir? Well, my church average age is 78. And Juan, we're dying. Juan, we are literally dying. And I need your help. Bob is 81 years old right now. I think maybe I'll be 82 now. 81, 82 years old. And Juan, we're dying. And, and we need your help. We've been praying for God to do a miracle in our lives. We baptized a grandmother with two or three kids. And now we want to know what to do. We need your help, Juan. I said, okay when can you come over? I said, well, let me see when I can come over, Bob. <laughs> and so we set a date. I go over to talk to him. We talk about this growing young Adventist process. He goes, we're going to do it. We're going to do it, Juan. We're going to go. Bob was so sold out to the process that this, now he's 82, but back then he was about 80 years old. This 80-year-old man had an, oh, listen to me, I would never do this. I mean, I, I would. I have done it. I would never do this now. And I'm in my I'm 49, so I would never do this now. This 80-year-old man had an all-night party at his house. He was sold out. 80-year-old man with his 78-year-old wife had an all-night party at his house for young people. He told these three teenagers that were baptized to invite their friends. So they had about 12 to 15 people in their house. Nine of them were not even Adventists. Some of them weren't even Christians. And they were just hanging out at Bob's house all night, eating, going to their pool, and then Bob would share a little message with them about Jesus. That's amazing. He was sold out. Some of these young people are serving as elders of the church. I went to go over there and preach one time. And the person in charge of the soundboard, they had nothing like this. This is like, you know, upscale. But they had the little one, little soundboard thing going on, and it was completely let out by a 12-year-old girl. There was nobody else up there, just her. So if it can happen with Bob, at the age of 80. He even says himself, no one has any excuse to not move forward with this. So what is your legacy? Because the only way that we can do this is by doing this together. It's got to work together. And when it works together, it works beautifully. How many here, like, nice, fresh, juicy grapes? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. How many here, like, old wrinkly raisins yeah listen nice young grapes and nice elderly wrinkled raisins are delicious and you can have both of best worlds when you work intergenerationally among the wrinkled and among the juicy plump young people Another example of how this plays out in the Bible, especially when talking about mentoring the next generation, is through the life of Timothy. If you have your Bibles real quick, this will be the last passage we'll look at together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, 5 through 7. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. This is Paul writing Timothy. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. And very clearly we see there this perfect picture of how all of this looks like. It has to work together with the church and the home. Paul represents a leader of the movement. Eunice and Lois do too, but they are relatives of Timothy. So working together with the home and the church, we can see more Timothys out there in the world. And it's played out in this life. And so listen, I have three sons. I have three sons, 24, 21, and 12. Yeah, he's a late bloomer, a child of my old age. I have three sons, and I want them to be part of a church family that together with me will help them become mighty spiritual warriors for Jesus Christ, that they become men who love Jesus more than I love him. If they move to Naples because of some kind of job thing or whatever it might be, if they move to Naples, could I tell them that this church needs to be their home church because this church loves Generations, well, could I tell them that? I would love to be able to tell them that. I want them to be discipled and become leaders in a church that is focused less on longevity and more on legacy. What does that mean? Sometimes we try to continue to go on as much as we can, doing the same things over and over again, and we forget to pass on to the next generation so that they might come and do things differently for God's glory. So I want them to be part of a church that talks about that, that leaves a legacy of hope in the handprints in the hearts of the next generation. What does that mean? That means that every single one of you have a different handprint. Every single one of you does. If you would take my water right now and I would print it out and have your unique prints and my unique prints, and your unique prints that God has given you Your life story in your hands needs to be implanted in the hearts of the next generation. It needs to be implanted in the hearts of those who are around you working intergenerationally. And sometimes it gets messy. When you start making changes to better connect and mentor the next generation, sometimes it gets messy. When you want to focus more on young people and young families, it gets messy. But remember, we are not called to change the next generation. We are called to love them and no one has an excuse, because legacy happens in a dash. You know that dash of a tombstone? Tombstone has a dash the day you were born and the day that you are no longer around. And from what I see, everybody is living in the dash. You're all in the dash, and you all can leave a legacy for the next generation. Jesus started this movement considered to be a millennial. When he was alive, If he would be alive today, he'd be considered a millennial with a bunch of next-generation teenagers and 20-year-olds. He started this movement that still impacts our lives today. Where would we be if it wasn't for that 30-year-old Jewish carpenter? Where would we be if it wasn't for those 20-year-olds and teenagers that followed him and spread the gospel? Where would we be? if it wasn't for our redemption story? Where can we go if we start allowing the next generation of young people in our church start leading our trajectory? What is your legacy? My prayer is that your legacy would be that of leaving handprints in the hearts of the next generation by prioritizing them in all that you do and discipling them to become leaders. May you be moved by God to love the next generation well and help them fall in love with Jesus so that they may lead our churches today. Let's pray. Holy and great God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these wonderful people here who who had patience to listen to these words. I pray, mighty King, that these words might might go deep into their hearts and in their lives, Lord, so that they might start rethinking about what they're doing and how they can make an impact, not just for their families, but for their communities, Lord. Holy God, I was looking at today, even though this, this community is full of many seniors, Lord, you've also blessed it with 48,000 kids that go to public schools, and high school and college and elementary. So there's a great field in this county. And so God awakened them to that calling and understand and help them understand that you have a great legacy to not just leave behind, but a legacy of redemption to save the lives of young people everywhere, including here. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name.